Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by our deeds. Matthew 11, 11 through 19. Please be seated. Well, thanks, Tim, for reading the word for us. I always enjoy hearing the word of God. You know, faith comes by hearing the word. We can read it, but there's something powerful when it's read and we process it in that way. Well, it is the 4th of July. Um, I have a cousin that is, was born on the 4th of July. She happens to be just one year younger, and no, you can guess what my age is. I'm not going to tell you that way you could guess hers, I guess. I don't know. Just beautiful to be able to be here with you, to be able to gather and to journey together. I mean, um, as we did earlier, we just invite the Holy Spirit to do his work in us and through us in a way that allows us to be able to celebrate a 4th of July in an incredible way, right? Because of the complete dependence that we have not only on, in our country, which is a, it's a great country, but really our great commitment to, to a great God that Jesus has given to us. So we're grateful for that. We're grateful for that. Well, we are starting a summer series called The Table, and it's based on the tangible practice of hospitality found in God's Word. Now, uh, we can easily turn to the New Testament and find Jesus sitting and eating and drinking, as we're going to get to in a few moments. But we find it all the way throughout the Old Testament, too, where God invites people to a table. Now, when we talk about the table throughout the series, we're not, not only talking literally, which is true, but we're talking metaphorically. In fact, today will not be a literal message on sitting at a table and literally eating. It will be truly an invitation, a welcome to us to sit with him. I don't know about you, but hospitality is kind of this luminous word in our culture, isn't it? I was raised in a home where we had many people into our home for meals and even for short-term stays. Uh, Many of these people I knew, but some of them in the mix, I didn't know who they were. In fact, probably even today, I still don't know who they were. I mean, they're in my mind. I see them, but I don't have a name affixed to them. They were truly strangers. Now, that could have been because of a business we were participating in or missionaries coming through our church, which we had several that would eat with us or even former bishops and that type of thing. But friends of friends would even be invited. 
Like, so my mom and dad would say, hey, so-and-so, you want to come for a meal? And they'd say, well, you know, so-and-so's with us. Well, bring them along. So we didn't always know who was coming to the table. Our house became a landing spot for large gatherings, uh, it seemed, uh, in our modest home. Uh, Reunions uh, were there. Uh, You know what I'm talking about. Reunions of people you don't, they're your relatives, but you don't even know them. And then they talk to you like in a strange way, like you should know them or they know more about you. And you're like, this is just weird. I mean, right? They, they want to give you the, the awkward kiss or hug or something. It's like, really? I don't even know you. I mean, right? I had those. We had church gatherings, people I knew and did not know, but they were invited uh, for summer swims or New Year's eve celebrations that would last into the wee morning hours which i'd never seen my parents do this but this was kind of their ritual other times at other times this is their ritual and these friends of my mom and dad they taught me some really cool things they taught me how to use shaving cream as a when people fall asleep you know that little i mean i learned that from some of my mom and dad's friends this was awesome right i saw people church gathering no liquor involved, I promise, no drinking, drinking from the punch bowl, just lifting the punch bowl up and drink. I'm like, ah, this, you know, you really can have fun. I mean, some of them I knew, some of them I didn't know. This is kind of the hospitality in our home. We also, uh, in our house, uh, hosted a few guys through the years when I was growing up. The uh, reason it was guys is because my mom was the only female, so it just made sense. A couple from different countries as exchange students, which was uh, always interesting. Uh, and you didn't know them when they came in, but they left as brothers in some ways before they left. And then at one point we hosted uh, our church at the time was wanting to uh, uh, mentor uh, some uh, ministry people. And so we hosted uh, a guy who came to live with us. His name's Keith. And he uh, became uh, more like, he became even closer than a brother in many ways, mentoring me in ministry, talking to me about some strange stuff, biblical stuff that you look at, you probably read and go, what in the world does this mean? And he would talk to me about that. He himself was going into ministry. So I had this kind of, I have this kind of overlay of, of hospitality that flowed through my house and around me all the way around. I think it was pretty healthy. Uh, there was nothing uh, pretentious about it. I, I didn't think. Uh, you might think differently, but I didn't think. But in our day and age, this is why this word hospitality becomes luminous for us. HGTV just makes us go crazy, right? So we have to have a, a perfect table set with the perfect food in the perfect setting at the perfect time. And what we're going to find out is that's not what Jesus has in mind at all. As much as maybe you personally desire for some of those things, that's not what Jesus desires for us. I mean, we love the Gaineses. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. I don't know. Or Martha Stewart through the years because of her. But you have to completely understand that these people have hordes of people that are making their house, their places, and whether you like them or not, it makes no difference making it look very perfect, very right. 
And I just want to put it out there. And the team that kind of sat down and we wrestled through this, we want to put this out there right at the beginning. That's not what Jesus means by hospitality. That's not even what the Bible means as hospitality. Because today is the fourth, I wanted to take a little historical journey with you. And if some of you are historians, some of you can speak French better than I can, you'll be able to say his name better than I can. But I wanted to take a little historical look at what our country has been about historically. And maybe what we hunger for, even as a country, a little bit, but what Jesus invites us into. Alexis de Tocqueville, where is Francis? Did I do that right? Yes! I did it right! She's my French coach. (laughs) He was a diplomat, a political philosopher, a historian. He saw that faith motivated civic life. Let me explain. He noted that Christianity specifically and, and liberty were intertwined and con- could, he could not conceive one without the other. So in 1830, he visited America. And he came to see that they were so intertwined that you could not separate them. But he was reflecting on Europe as it was then for him and realized that Europe had could not redeem itself. In fact, what he saw in Europe was that they, that church and government were the standards of having justice, let's use that word, or hospitality, we can use that word, to be done. This overarching welcome. And he said, oh, Europe is, is past that, but America has a hope. There's an intertwining of faith that motivates civic life. Now, let me explain by quoting him. Tocqueville wrote this, Americans of all ages, all stations in life, and all types of disposition are forever forming associations. There are not only commercial and industrial associations in which all take part, but others of a thousand different types, religious, moral, serious, others of a thousand... Uh, serious feudal, excuse me, immensely large and very minute. Americans combine to give fetes, found cemeteries, build churches, distribute books, send missionaries to the antipodes, which is actually uh, Australia, New Zealand, that was the terminology they were using then. Hospitals, prisons, and schools to take shape in that way. Finally, if they want to proclaim a truth or propagate some feeling by the encouragement of a great example, they form an association. Now, what he meant by an association were small groups of people who learn to care for other people around them. That's what he's talking about. They, they saw a need and they met the need. Civic, civic life back then. He says, these associations sprang up like wildflowers across the countryside to meet every imaginable need. And their roots bound people together at the community level. They worked irrespective, listen to this, what he observed. Now, it wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but this is what he observed as a Frenchman looking around in America. They worked irrespective of denominational lines, racial or class barriers. 
But Americans were modest about what they did in serving each other, seeking no public fanfare. They realized it and had a value not only for others, but for themselves. Again, this can be found in his uh, books. There are a couple, of cop- uh, a couple of volumes, Democracy in America, and what he noted. I think it's rather interesting that here America's settled, it's formed, a Frenchman comes over, they have, we have these, this tie at that time that we may not have today, but we had this tie at that time. He comes over and he observes this, this welcome that is apparent in the culture of America. It, he goes on to say this, it's not in your quotes Above, or on the screen, he says, to love mankind is abstract. You would have to say that that's true. To say, I love mankind, or I love my neighbor. Let's use that term. We're familiar with that. But, to, but one can love, uh, love particular people. Trying to help the poor is overwhelming as a category. But helping one family in need is a manageable task. It is the most effective way of reaching individuals face to face. I think that that's what I wanted to capture with you. That when Tocqueville came, he saw this face-to-face encounter that people were having with their neighbors, those within their community. They didn't classify things in big spheres and try to tackle them. They tackled them face-to-face, person-to-person. I think with really kind of a holy welcome a holy welcome in some cases. See, Jesus calls us to this face-to-face with individuals too. He wants us to participate with him and his kingdom to give the grand welcome to all people, just as Tadokville observed in that first visit to America. In fact, through a gift from the French that was dedicated in 1886 to mark our independence from England, the Statue of Liberty stands as a beacon to the world as a welcome, not only then, but even today. Some of my relatives came floating past that on the way into America as a welcome and a care. You might be thinking, whoa, wait a second. I I thought hospitality, because of HGTV, was about having people into your home and having a party. The Bible tells us it's much different. Hospitality is this word philozenia, philozenia. It's love of a stranger, love of a stranger. So as America historically has stood, we have been in some ways welcoming, I don't know if you could say loving, I don't know. You could, in many cases, I think you can. If we open our doors and they walk through, we can say that there's a love, there's an action on our behalf. But They have had a welcome. And I think this is part of the answer of hospitality. And I think this is exactly what Jesus is wanting us to grasp here. In Romans 12, verse 13, Paul tells us this. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. I don't think he's meaning, hey, set a table and have food. I think that may be part of it. But I believe that what he's asking us to do is to see them, to welcome them, to know the need that they have. 
and to be able to address the need with tangible, practical, and prayerful ways. I mean, if you were to take a journey with Paul, literally, I mean, if think about it. If you've read any of Acts and know his journeys, you will find that he didn't have a home to entertain people in. He went to other people's homes and entertained them with a holy welcome with a divine desire to know them and to let God be known. The church from Pentecost started as a gathering of people who learned and lived Jesus. Simply read the core principles of the church in Acts 2, 42 through 47. We're not going to read it. But what you'll find is there was hospitality just spilling out everywhere in all those places the Hebrew, of, uh, the Hebrew writer tells us in 13 verse 2, chapter 13 verse 2, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels with, without realizing it. How many of you have entertained strangers this week? How many of you have simply seen and welcomed somebody because they are who they are? I think that's a huge part of what hospitality is. And it has an industry, I get it. You can go get a degree at Michigan State and go into hospitality. And it has this tangible aspect into it. I mean, the Good Samaritan from Luke 10 through 25 through 37 is all about this. It spills out. What do you see in front of you? What need presents itself? How can you address it? Are you welcome to that interruption? I mean, I think it's a direct shot. I mean, we're not, we don't get it if you were to read through this passage, but it, it is a direct shot by Jesus to do the human thing, even though there are barriers of race or religion or ethnicity. To drive past those is what Jesus is desiring for us. See, hospitality is love lived out. It's just love lived out. It's a welcome from the heart healed or being and being healed by Jesus to a world of individuals who feel unwelcome and unwanted. That's why I'm so... I'm, I'm willing to be able to use America as one of those illustrations on the way to a biblical understanding. Let's take a look at our text for this morning. Strange text, isn't it? Kind of cutting in between, I'll have to admit. So let me do a little backdrop on it. John the Baptist from prison is inquiring about the ministry of his cousin Jesus. And he's wondering, even after announcing the arrival at, the, at Jordan of Jesus, who is the one, the, the Lamb of God, right? He's wondering, is he? And that's where we find ourselves, in the response that is brought from prison to Jesus, and Jesus is responding overtly. He's responding out loud. He says, I, truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet it, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence. And violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and law prophesied until now. 
Jesus is clearly stating John's status as a person in the pronouncement of the kingdom. I mean, that's what he's saying here. He's a, he's a great, I mean, he's a great guy. He did exactly what he was supposed to do, what he was called to do. He was a voice that was vital to the kingdom coming. Yet even in his role of being good, he is least. I think there's something crucial. If you want to capture that, take hold of that, even in the idea of hospitality, even in this idea of welcome, that it's not about you. It's about God. Oh, you think the other person. It's about God's welcome of the other person through you. That's what John demonstrates to us. Jesus is also referencing the force of which the kingdom has kingdom come was attempted to be brought about. And just one minor example, he had one in his own crew, the posse of 12 that became 11, that, that one, Judas, the zealot. They wanted to bring it around by force. They wanted to make God work on their timetable. That's a little bit of what Jesus is talking about here, that violence, that bringing it about in that way. He goes on, and if you are willing to accept it, he is, Eli- he is the Elijah who was to come, whoever has ears to let them hear. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others, we played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. Now that last little bit, he's reaching into the culture around them and the time around them. But Jesus is declaring that John has come. That he is the Elijah promised, yet Israel was, Israel was not ready for, for him and not ready for them, both of them. That they have not been watchful to the signs and the, the person sent. They've been often caught up in the day's festivities, not giving their attention to the kingdom coming. He goes on, for John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and a sinner, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. I love that last phrase. We'll get it to it in a second. So Jesus is just simply telling people what they're thinking around them. There's a show that, uh, maybe some of you watched uh, a while back. Uh, I'm rewatching some of the reruns on it through Netflix. It's The Mentalist. He's a, he's kind of a quirky kind of guy, um, but he he, he plays uh, plays kind of like a hypnotist, and and he can tell people what they're thinking and get people uh, get thoughts out of them. It's really kind of a strange thing. But Jesus does this all the time because the Lord, the Spirit of the Word, the Spirit of the Lord gives him this idea of, or gives him discernment. Ultimately, uh, Jesus is saying John's practice was not good enough. Uh, not in Jesus' eyes, but in those around them. A person of serious devotion, right? He deprived himself of eating and drinking, keeping him, keeping to his call and purpose that was designed for him, always keeping his heart, mind, and soul ready for the Messiah to come. Yet, John wasn't good enough for the people around him. Now, if you're wondering what that's called, it's, John was an ascetic. He, he practiced self-discipline and abstention from all indulgences in order to show his 
fervor his heart for the Lord. Then Jesus compares John practices to his own that, are, that are, have been and are to come of simply eating and drinking and sharing a table with individuals as normal people. And because he does this, he's called a glutton, a drunkard, and a friend of sinners. You have to, in some ways, maybe this is just me, you have to kind of go, oh, wow, Jesus, the Messiah, my Lord, my Savior, is called a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of sinners. Does the world think that about me? Does the world think that I may have those tendencies? Now, Jesus had none of those because it was just this. Jesus' practices were not good enough. While John was strict with himself, Jesus was just simply practical. Now, that may be a little oversimplistic, but I think it drives the point. Jesus took everyday living essentials and fused them with a greater purpose of the kingdom, not simply to gratify his personal appetite, literally or figuratively. Jesus was not condemning John's practice by any stretch of the imagination. He was just comparing them and that the people around them, they didn't like people who were super religious or super uh, ascetic, and they definitely didn't like Jesus who was hanging out with sinners and just being with people who they would consider by association, not good enough. But I love this last line that Jesus puts here. He dips into the Proverbs and brings it forward for us. It says, wisdom is proved by her deeds. Jesus is looking for people who live out love. That's what he's looking for. People who practically live the kingdom and enjoy other people in the process of doing that. I think that's one of the things where my mind, as I was reflecting on the years of living with my parents and their hospitality, I mean, I actually I got a little emotional thinking about all the fun we had, all the joy we had, all the challenge that came in there. But what, what happened was there was this, this practical aspect of just living out life with somebody else, living out love with somebody else. Jesus wants results. That's what he's speaking about. Matthew 7, 16 through 20 says this, And it really reinforces this last statement by Jesus. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into a fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. That is the phrase that pays. That's what he's saying at the end. He said, look, John's John's practices brought about redemption. My practices bring about redemption for the kingdom. Jesus is desiring for us to live out in a way to welcome people to a table, literally and figuratively, 
so that they know God is alive and loves them. See, hospitality is, is, a, is welcome unbridled with Jesus and his kingdom. It's just unbridled. When a follower of Jesus speaks welcome or lives welcome, there is a substance and a tangibility to it. It is palatable who are all around them in some way, shape, or fashion. This is what Jesus demonstrates to us and what we'll find out throughout this series. De de Tocqueville found that when he visited in the 1830s, he found this. The Statue of Liberty proclaims this in the New York Harbor. Welcome. Join me at the table. Let's have a conversation. We are all compelled and called by an empowering spirit as followers to live with hospitality, this holy welcome to see people and go, hey, welcome. We're glad to have you as a core value. It's not based on whether you have food or even a home. Jesus, he was notorious. Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house, right? I mean, Matthew, uh, Levi, you know, let, let's go to your house. Let's have a party, right? It's not, it's not reliant on that. In fact, I think some of that becomes a little, well, prideful. When we go, oh, it's got to be my way or the highway, right? I mean, that's how we think. Like, oh, it's got to be. And I'll tell you what, Kathy and I have had to work through some of that because we've had some things that have been ingrained in us. And we we're working through, like, how this looks in real life, in real ways. Jesus, by his very nature, welcomes all. By his very nature. He says, welcome. Because he is love. And we who call ourselves followers are to be of the same spirit. Not perfect, but in process. So, maybe as we work through this idea of hospitality, we need to work through it and what has been formed and reconstruct it, realign it to what Jesus desires. You know, just as God asked Moses, what's in your hand? I think this morning, Jesus may be asking the same question by the Holy Spirit. What's in your hand today? What's in your hand? Literally, look at them. What's in your hand? Ah, you have them. We're going to get to that. So what are the next steps? In what ways can you practice hospitality this week? Uh, You didn't see that coming, did you? Yeah. Maybe the Lord has been saying to you, coming out of this season of isolation and separation, it's time to really get to know your neighbors. In fact, maybe this last week, you probably, maybe, depending on what happened in your house, right, you needed a few more hands to help lift some things out, right? And it's not about getting to know your neighbors so they do something, but it's getting to know your neighbors so they care, you care for one another. And so it's no more this hello over the fence that's kind of awkward because you really don't know them really well and you don't know, right? But that you need to move into a deeper way of living. It was a few years ago that I was at a youth conference with a few uh, youth and um, this guy just leaned into this really kind of normative way of, 
of, well, sort of norm, and I think that's why he was leaning into it, and that's why I'm leaning into it this morning, uh, this idea of the power of the wave. Now, if you've been to a Tiger game, everybody, can you do this? I'm, I'm kidding, not that wave, not that wave. But what he was saying was, have you ever wasted a wave? I don't know what it's like when you pull into your subdivision or drive down your road, but do people watch you? They do in ours. They kind of go, all right, who is that? You know, that's a wonderful opportunity to, as he called it, I don't remember the guy's name, but he said, waste a wave, just wave at them and smile. <laughs> and your kids, will, if you have kids or grandkids or whoever's in your car, they'll say, Dad, do you know? I have no idea who they are. But I think it's an opportunity to waste a wave in a day in which we're, we're suspicious, we're shy, we're, we're kind of reclusive even uh, in some ways. I think it's time to, to wave. Can I also suggest that maybe we just start saying hello to people? I get it. We're all in different places and different spaces as people and even our personalities, uh, myself included. Uh, but when we see somebody, look at them in the eye and just say hello. Don't expect anything. Don't ask for anything back. Just say hello. Right? I think the simple greetings go a long way to moving us towards this holy welcome that God wants us to do. Now, for some of you, that's, that's a little bit, uh, I already do all that. Great, keep it up. Show us how to do it and do it in a, in a way that we can model and all of that type of stuff. But I think that there are some ways incrementally that we can continue to walk into this idea of hospitality, not literally at a table, which we can do, but hospitality that welcomes people right where they're at, right who they are. Ask the Lord to give you uh, this opportunity. There is one other thing that as a team, when we met to talk about this series that we realized is going to be huge in this whole idea of hospitality is your time. Your time. So I'm going to ask you that you now, over the next several weeks, you start praying, uh, consider your time, you prayerfully consider your time. What you do, what you don't do, what the Lord wants you to do, what he doesn't want you to do. Now, with that, what... I, I would ask that you did maybe just ask this question. Lord, do I have space for others? Do I have space for others? Now, it's pretty easy for me, I don't know about you, uh, to fill in the blanks with my own voice. But Lord, I don't have time. The justifications and rationalizations kind of fill in like water does in different places, we've found out, Right? Allow the Spirit of the Lord to speak to you. Do I have time for others? Do I have the space? Allow the Good Shepherd to lead you into greener, greener pastures of his kingdom and out of the self-preserving and protecting rhythms of our lives. When we do, we're able to be and do what God has called us to do to be that holy welcome that he demonstrated for each one of us. In fact, kind of as a reminder throughout this series, this verse will pop up from time to time. But remember, Jesus, Jesus was this for us. 
Accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. Right? We're, we're to look at people and not kind of guess what's going on behind them. Just allow them to be. Allow the Holy Spirit to fill in the space, not you. And allow them to be. Well, we have just begun to kind of chip away at this idea of hospitality, this idea of being at the table with God, with others, with strangers. Today, we want to make sure that you know that you're invited to our table. So uh, following the service, if you did not know, yeah, we're going to have some hot dogs, uh, some baked beans, whatever other food that Jay and his uh, team down there have created, we are going to enjoy. We want you to join us for that. And uh, let's start the, the, the waves. People you don't know, just wave at them and maybe it'll start a conversation. The hellos. But seriously, pray about your time. Pray that the Lord will give you clarity. Do you have space for others where he wants you to have space. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for this topic. It is so expansive. And as I've begun to just dig into Scripture, I realize that almost the whole of Scripture can be seen through this lens. It's an incredible thing to realize that, that you extended a welcome to me. That you extended a welcome to me, someone who is broken, sinful, separated, isolated to me. I remember the people who prepped the Holy Spirit's work in my life. And I remember the moment in which I accepted the holy welcome, the holy invitation into well, a lifetime of hospitality from your table. Father, for many of us, we, we don't intentionally not wave. We don't intentionally not say hello. We are consumed with what's on our hearts. And so, Father, I, I just want to start today, on this day, while we celebrate the independence, I want to, Father, press into our dependence on you specifically. Our, our inability to love the other, to love the stranger, to even love some of those we know in our, in our, our, our lives daily is because we're consumed with us. So friends, this morning, I, I, I want you to literally or figuratively, it really doesn't matter to me, hold out your hands. And whatever is consuming you in this moment, whatever worry, whatever fear, whatever aspiration even, your, your goals your desires, that you would lift them to Jesus, lift them to the Father, with complete trust and faith that he will care for you as his son or daughter.
than as he cares for you as he cares for the sparrows in the sky, that he, you will then be able to be what he has called you to be, the welcome to his kingdom. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are able to take our cares, our concerns, our worries, our celebrations even, our aspirations, our drivenness to workaholism or whatever it may be, and you're able to take that so that, Father, we can grow to have space and a place to see others, to welcome them, to acknowledge them, to break into the grand concept and practice that Jesus showed us of hospitality. Thank you, Jesus. Continue to guide us as you promised you would as the great shepherd. By your Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.